Welcome to the back room of politics, where this week uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, some of the responses that businesses have to make as we move the traffic light system uh, under COVID-19. And during that time, we're obviously going to look at uh, how businesses have adapted over the last 20 months uh, to all of the various iterations that we've had. So we've had the alert levels uh, and uh, the, the various restrictions that come with that. We now move to a traffic light system, which is, I have to say, a lot less clear uh, than perhaps a lot of people might think. It's coupled, of course, with the COVID passport. Um, I don't know about uh, anybody listening to this, but I've downloaded the thing a couple of times and it just won't stay on my phone, which is uh, uh, not my lack of uh, technological expertise, I'm quite sure, uh, but I'll have to get it checked out. I'm joined today by two representatives from the hospitality uh, industry. Uh, first, Nikki Rogers. Uh, Nikki, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, good morning. I'm Nikki Rogers from Hospitality New Zealand. I'm the regional manager for Central South Island. So I guess my role here is um, the regional manager is to be here for our members. And of course, you can imagine we're getting a lot of questions um, coming through um, just all the time at the moment, particularly as we head into the start of the traffic light system, which has come about very quickly, a lot quicker than we expected. Um, for next Friday, it's going to take place. And um, there's still a lot of un- unclear guidance operationally because the um, public health order hasn't come out yet and we really need that detail. It's quite extraordinary isn't it you're going to have such a short period of time and uh, my other guest is uh, uh, Mr Marty Fuller uh, very well known in the hospitality industry and the winner uh, recently for his establishment uh, of New Zealand's best Marty? Best local, best local, Jerry. Look, I've been in the industry over 40 years. I'm a life member of Hospitality New Zealand, and I'm currently proprietor of the Elmwood Trading Company uh, in Strowan. And we were fortunate fortunate enough this week to be uh, named as New Zealand's best local in the Hospitality New Zealand National Awards for Excellence, which is pretty prestigious. I mean, we're, we're thrilled. We're absolutely delighted. But this year, there was a record number of entries. We were shortlisted down to five throughout. New Zealand, and we were lucky enough to ultimately win it. So we're thrilled, and and I'm thrilled for the industry because it's been an opportunity for the industry to showcase um, the wonderful, wonderful hospitality premises there are throughout New Zealand, and the important role that they play and will continue to play uh, in, in in our economy going forward, especially with the return of international tourism. So you've managed over the last uh, uh, twenty months to keep your establishment open, to keep it uh, being a vibrant uh, local. I mean, in the community, um, and you've dealt with that alert level system uh, quite well. So what is going to be your challenge from next Friday when we go into this traffic light system? Well, again, um, interpretation is going to be key. And um, as Nikki has said, we will be heavily reliant on advice from Hospitality New Zealand, who, of course, in turn are reliant on it from the government, which has been a bit thin. Um, And then um, it'll be putting it into place. It's fair to say it's been difficult to date to um, administer there and, and get people to comply when, as you know, in the South Island, we, we've, apart from the odd case recently, we haven't had COVID for over a year. And it's very hard to get people to not be complacent um, about it and comply. And we are not expected to be the police. We do our best, um, but, it, but it hasn't been easy. However, um, looking forward, um, it, it, we are very hopeful that we will go to at least Orange, although personally, I can't see why the South Island couldn't go to green or couldn't have been in um, a lesser level 
pretty much the whole of the last year. I think there's been a lack of measured approach to some of the decision-making around the levels. However, we're expecting to go to at least orange. And again, uh, it's a little unclear. My, my understanding, and Nikki will be able to either endorse this or expand on it, my understanding is that at that level, largely um, largely limits um, are removed in that there's no restriction on numbers uh, within our premises. It is still mandatory to scan in. Face masks, and I think for both patrons and staff, are encouraged but not compulsory, and I think that probably still does need a bit of clarification, Nikki. Yes, it does. Um, but the big thing, the big thing, Jerry, will be um, the decision as to whether or not uh, we as a premise uh, become a vaccinated person's only premise, and I can tell you that in my Example, we will be making that decision for both staff and patrons. So therefore, it comes down to how do we monitor people entering our premises that they are in fact vaccinated? Because of course, you can understand that if we advertise or promote the fact that we're a vaccinated only premise, we have an obligation to, to ensure that we are, or at least be seen to be doing that. So if you've got a vaccine pass, that's great. And a lot of people are now downloading that. But at the point of entry to the premises, how does that in effect work? Short of me putting a staff member on the door 24-7, which I would suggest at the moment, given especially the last 20 months, most hospitality premises can't afford me included. Therefore, is there some device at the door that people will be able to scan? To date, I haven't seen that emerging. Therefore, do they then simply come to the bar? Uh, Do we ask them, you know, show this? Uh, The complication with that are, how do we know that's in fact that person's uh, pass uh, they, like like children can do they can borrow their big sister's ID and try and get into pubs underage the same situation could happen two people enter the bar one goes and sits down who happens to be unvaccinated the other one goes to the bar shows their pass takes the drink back to the other person these are worst case scenarios but they're just some of the hiccups no, we they, could experience they, um, they recognise human behaviour so Nicky what, what sort of uh, advocacy are you, you taking on behalf of the industry to uh, health <coughs> authorities who, who've got to put this together so, you know when I read the orange requirement says that um, you know you've got to wear a mask in public places or public venues um, and it's encouraged elsewhere so I would assume that your bar most of your members have uh, places that are called public venues Oh, look, totally. We're advocating um, all the time. We're going back into government and asking a lot of questions, particularly to operationalise this traffic light system. Until we get um, all those details, um, it's it's very difficult to advise members exactly what's happening. As Marty said, um, in the brief details we've got here in the traffic light system, masks are encouraged. Well, at the moment, they're compulsory for um, staff, for hospitality. So is that still going to be compulsory? Because that level of detail is not coming out and how long will that last for because it's very difficult for them to work um, all day with a mask on. Um, So whilst they're encouraged, are they going to be impossible? Um, So we're we're needing to go back to redefine a whole lot of things. Um, Like if people are are running an unvaccinated premise um, under amber and orange, it just says... um, pretty much no hospitality, um, it's click and collect type thing. So we're, we're asking for a lot more definition on that because it's really limiting those that are running kind of an unvaccinated premise. The other area that we're really advocating on is um, we look after all the accommodation as well. Now accommodation we still regard as um, you know part of hospitality and a lot of them want to be um, mandated because um, otherwise they haven't got any legal standing to do this apart from going through a fairly um, 
big health and safe, uh, health and safety assessment um, to be able to do that. So we are advocating for accommodation to have the um, option to opt in or opt out of mandating. Um, so they've got that law and behind them to protect them for that, for asking their staff to be vaccinated and then being able to say to their guests we're operating as a vaccinated um, accommodation. It's very interesting when you read the uh, traffic light system uh, requirements or, or conditions for being green, which is effectively wide open. It says COVID-19 across New Zealand includes sporadic imported cases. Well, we've got that. Um, land transport, uh, limited sorry, limited uh, community transmission, certainly in the South Island, we just haven't had that. Um, any, any, tra- any COVID cases down here have been traced to have come in as opposed to being community uh, transmitted. Uh, it says that COVID-19 hospitalizations are at a manageable level. Well, we've got no one in hospital uh, anywhere in the South on it for COVID-19 as I understand it and then it says the whole health system is ready to respond primary care public health and hospital and hospitals so you would think that is the criteria uh, that uh, South Island easily meets but the Prime Minister's told us that no the whole country is going to uh, not none, nowhere in the country will it be green so you'd assume that Auckland stays at uh, red, which is really not a lot different from what they've got, uh, and we remain where we are. So it, it's kind of like we're being encouraged to think that we're getting a great deal more liberty. What we're getting is a great deal more rules and uncertainty. Yeah, uh, you're 100% right, Jerry. And as I said previously, um, I believe we should be going to green. There's no reason based on the criteria you've just outlined that we shouldn't be going to green. And, and again, the argument that we perhaps should have been had far more freedoms for a very long time. And part of, part of the problem that we've had is the cynicism from our locals about being in a certain level with with, with restrictions and very inconvenient restrictions like seated and served when all around us there is an absence um, of this of this virus and this will be ongoing if we're not put into something like level uh, the green level um, I mean I, I, I posed the question a while ago that you know this, the South Island we, we appear to be ignored time after time the Prime Minister hasn't even mentioned the South Island in some of her briefings we almost don't exist and I posed the question if say um, back in August, one case of um, COVID had been detected in Invercargill. Do you think she would have shut down Auckland immediately? It's an interesting question and one that we probably can't answer here, but I would suggest the answer is no. Um, uh, but so I don't know why we've been treated this harshly, but it is confusing. I know talking to Julie White, the CEO of Hospitality New Zealand last night, they have repeatedly asked the government for more clarity um, and it hasn't been forthcoming. Obviously, they're going to keep doing that over the next few days before this is implemented. But it, but it, it's very frustrating from a practical point of view to implement. Yeah, look, I'm... One of the things that uh, should be stated is that I don't think any of us uh, doubt that what was done early last year was the right thing to do at the time. Uh, there was no cure for, or no, no treatments, in fact, for COVID-19, certainly no vaccine, and the prospect of it running rampant did look for a week or two to be uh, pretty real, and getting over that was good. I just think it's the response since it's the problem, and uh, you know we've now got the nation uh, very close to that ninety percent um, uh, vaccinated, uh, and you, you do have to start asking yourself where are the risk points. So I don't want to get into that argument. I think um, it, it's better to concentrate on the if we can for this the difficulties that you have in operating. So. Um, 
let's say there was a, um, a partial outbreak uh, and your business has suddenly become a little bit compromised, what do you understand that the business support system would do for uh, businesses, wage subsidies, uh, the loan system, etc.? The moment it's based on a 30% reduction over a period of time. Yeah, it's, an, it's a very interesting um, question, that one, because, um, you know, there's a lot more onus has gone on the business to operate in a safe way, but it's just costing them more and more and more. And look, when people get shut down, it is a huge loss of business. It's a huge loss of faith. It's a loss of staff, all sorts of things. So um, people have had to downscale their staff. Now with the vaccination mandate, unfortunately, we are u- losing some really good staff, some really good chefs. Um, because they're not opting to get vaccinated. So that is a wee bit of a loss of the industry that we can't um, really sustain a wee bit. But um, I, I guess if we get locked down again, there is going to need to be some support for businesses because they're asking for us to check people coming in. They're asking to shut down at short notice. And you know, when you shut down at short notice, a whole lot of food goes to waste, a whole lot of other things happen. So, so a lot of um, with this... Um, traffic light system, you know, when it does come in, what are going to be the indicators that it's going to change from one one level to the other? You know, how much warning can we get? Because it seems to just happen very quickly. And that's very tough on business to operate. Yeah, they have said, the government has said they don't expect to have any more lockdowns once this is implemented. But, you know, um, that's all best intention, I suppose. But you're right, the transition between the uh, red, amber and green uh, criteria is, is very unclear. Jerry, I, I don't think for one minute that the government can consider um, further lockdowns. Um, they've made it quite clear that um, as we approach the 90% fully vaccinated level, that that's acceptable to them. It's in line with, in fact, it's not only in line, it's better than significant amount of other countries overseas that have opened up. Um, so I don't think for one minute that um, she can mandate a lockdown. However, the implications that we face as um, as a hotel is that if there was um, an outbreak, a regional outbreak down here, and say, for example, uh, people were identified as having visited my premise, uh, what do I have to do then? Do I have to shut? Do I have to shut for a deep clean? I think deep cleans have been a little bit uh, put on the back burner. I don't think they seem to be being that useful. But do I have to? Do I have to close uh, because um, I'm identified as a as a place of interest? Similarly, if one of my staff contacts uh, uh, contracts COVID. They clearly would have to have a stand down period. Then do my other staff all have to be tested? And I believe that they then have to stay at home for a period before those test results come back, et cetera. So how am I going to actually operate my tavern when I possibly have to shut because I've had, because I'm a place of interest? I possibly have to shut because I simply won't have any staff for at least a day or so. Um, they're the sort of things looming that we don't know, but I fear could happen. And at the very least, if I, my tavern was identified as a place of interest, what would the public perception be of coming in here? Um, I, I believe there would be a, a significant amount of deterrent uh, from people about visiting here, given that we've I've been identified. So those threats are still looming and real for us. Um, and yet to be, you know, I said we've yet to experience them, but but they are a threat, a significant threat. Yeah, well, look, I, I think um, as we come into this time of year, of course, um, a lot of people will be taking advantage of hospitality uh, to enjoy themselves. They don't see the behind-the-scenes stuff that you've got to, to work with. 
Um, but that raises a question in my head, uh, Nikki. Um, the Hospitality Association, do you have like minimum standards for how cold freezers should be uh, for the chilling of, of uh, bottled beverage in uh, in hotels, in, in bars, and and uh, taverns particularly? I'm going to get Marty to answer that one. No, no, I don't think that's a question he can answer. It's a very, very pointed question. Um, it's cold. A, uh, well, I think people's definitions of cold are, uh, are, you know, many and varied. I mean, I've, I've actually uh, suffered uh, almost third-degree burns from a cold bottle from Marty's freezer, but that's uh, one of those things you tend to put up with. Um, did they, they not check the freezers when they gave you that award, Marty? Tell uh, us a bit about the award. Uh, no, no, no. no they, they checked. We certainly have recommended levels, uh, Jerry. Uh, you're, you're a bit of an exception uh, that you do like your ale uh, excessively chilled, um, and you are, of course, one of uh, Lion Brown's New Zealand ambassadors. And well, a that's very my good next one. question. And a very good one. I wanted to get to but yeah. the no. award itself, Marty. What, yeah. what made your tavern the best in New Zealand? Jerry, we bought this place about three and a half years ago, and we set it out. We set out to make it a great neighbourhood tavern. In order to do that, there's, a, there's, there's quite a lot of boxes you've got to tick. Obviously, location was important. We've got a great location. You have to have ambience, so you've got to create an environment that's, that's warm and friendly and all that sort of thing. You have to have a great product. And by the product, I mean food and beverage. So we've got um, a great chef team. Our food is really, really good. It's 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 mainstream. It's um, gastro pub sort of food, but it it it, it, it ticks a lot of boxes for people. You have to have a great food and beverage range, um, of course, beer, wines, and spirits. Cold Lion Brown for special guests, um, and uh, you have to have great stuff. You really have to have great stuff. We've got that here. We've got a great team. Um, you have to have great locals, of course, which we've got, but which has contributed to us being the best local. And then you have to interact with the community. So you have to um, – we do a lot of sponsorships. Uh, we host a lot of quiz nights, a lot of fundraising activities. So you've really got to interact with the community. So there's a lot of boxes. Clearly the judges thought that we ticked them all, and we're just absolutely thrilled. And what happens from here? You get a – uh, an award that's displayable, absolutely. Yeah, 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 we do. I mean, tragically, um, the, the, this award ceremony was meant to be held as part of Hospitality New Zealand Summit back in September, big 400-seat black tie dinner in Auckland. Uh, it actually was held uh, virtually the other night, so we couldn't physically get handed. Um, a, uh, we had a nice plaque and a, and a statuette. Uh, they are being couriered to us, um, which we'll prominently display. Obviously, we're going to lever it for marketing purposes. Um, in fact, I'm meeting um, after this with a sign writer fellow to put some stuff out the front. We've had the Star newspaper, uh, and I'm hopefully for the press as well, contacting us for a story. So we're going we're gonna to lever it. Um, if you go onto our Facebook page, you'll see a, a massive stuff. So it's an opportunity to lever, to lever the premises and um, market it, and that's what we intend to do. Is it, um, uh, I suppose, an intention, Nikki, to have an award system that, that uh, raises standards across the country? It's really recognising excellence in hospitality. So um, there were about uh, 14 or 15 awards and um, Kaiser Brew Garden got People's Choice, which was awesome. So we did have a local event here um, at Hotel Montreal at the Polo Bar and we had about 65 people come along to that. And so it was a very good local celebration. We also had one down in Queenstown, one in Nelson and one up in Rotorua um, with the actual event being um, filmed in 
in Wellington. So it's um, so we celebrated right around the country for mm. all our wonderful hospitality people. Mm. Um, one thing about hospitality is um, people are very passionate about their businesses, and my goodness, they work hard. They are twenty four seven working hard, so they're having to deal with all this on top of everything. But first and foremost, hospitality people are just that. They're there to make everyone, you know, have a great place to come and be together with people. And so it's just um, sometimes it's heartbreaking hearing the stories that people are going through with with everything over the last kind of 18 months, but they are still trying to work through it and, and do the right thing. Jerry, Jerry, one of the interesting things and that uh, that I've really learned over the last 10 years, and it goes back to the Christchurch earthquakes, is that in times of adversity, people want to be with people. They want to meet. That's absolutely right. Yeah. It, it's, it's 100% right. And, and there was no greater example than immediately after the, the earthquakes, especially the two most significant ones, where we were packed that within hours, we were seriously packed because people wanted, they wanted to share. And, and this was in a premises too that had sustained some damage. Yes. Um, but you were able to get it certified and, and open fairly quickly. Yes, yes, we did. We, we got an engineer there pretty much straight away. Um, the premise was compromised, but it was deemed to be safe. And in fact, it, it traded that way for, for some years after the earthquakes. But the important thing was that we were almost inundated with people because people wanted to be with people. They wanted comfort. They wanted to share this, their own stories. Um, and they just wanted that conviviality, which which hotels, inns, taverns, whatever you like to call them, have provided for thousands of years. They have been the hub of the community. I mean, Jesus was born out the back of an inn over 2,000 years ago. So, you know, they, they've been around for thousands of years. I think and, it's, it's, and there's it's a, a reason for that. No, here. it's a tool order to try and link the onward tavern to the, the birth of Christ and the... Uh, I have... The entire Christmas. Reason. I have been called a god of the industry over the years. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, look, um, the industry has obviously changed a lot over the years, and I, and I know there's a huge fascination these days with um, craft beer and and uh, all sorts of uh, different flavors and other such. But it uh, really is, I think, interesting that you bring up the the idea that people like to be with people. People also enjoy a bit of nostalgia, and there is no doubt that uh, you know a most iconic beer in New Zealand would be Lion Brown. And I wonder why it's not promoted as, as much as it should be. Well, I don't know. Perhaps it's um, it's it's associated with male, stale and pale, Jerry, um, which, as you know, is very unfashionable these days. And I'm not suggesting one minute you fit that category, but perhaps you'd like to ponder it. Um, so I think that uh, I think that, uh, that that's one of the, the reasons. Um, but um, but let me tell you that it is an iconic beer and it has a cult following. Um, it's not just a, um, a workingman's club sort of beer. It's actually found in, 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 in a wide range of premises, including ours. And in fact, not only uh, on tap, but in fact, the resurgence of the old 745ml bloater or quart bottle um, is, is, is amazing. We sell truckloads of it. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's up there as one of New Zealand's iconic beers. Interestingly enough, um, here at, at our premise, Steinlager is our biggest selling beer. Now, Steinlager for years was... For all sorts of Um, headaches. You mentioned that little. uh, You mentioned that little outburst there to. Firstly, you know, direct a very horrible uh, sort of insult my way, but then accuse me of being part of a cult. So, how on earth did you ever become such a popular publican? I just don't understand it. But um, you know, I guess each to his own. So, what's uh, the Christmas plans, Nikki? 
Um, well, yeah. Well, where, where, where would you go? And, uh, where would I go? Yeah, if you're looking for a venue, uh, just uh, Christmas Eve, final sign-off on the work and quick drink. I know you perhaps can't advertise, you can't have favourites, but what type oh, of establishment? Yeah, well, um, for me personally, it's just where, you know, my friends and I like to go, so there's so many lovely, amazing hospitality outlets everywhere. Of course, we'll come down to Marie's for a while, totally, um, but there's some great places on the terrace, but everywhere. I mean, even out in the suburbs, people are still going to their locals. Um so really support everything. This yeah. is an international podcast. So across New Zealand, um, there'll be those sorts of venues. I, I hope that Auckland do get uh, the opportunity to experience Absolutely. some of the, uh, the of what we've been able to have here, even in the compromise system that we've had. Yeah. yeah, we'd love to see lots of people get out to Auckland because they have really had it hard. Yeah. And um, we've really seen a lot of hardship coming through there. So yeah. um, if everyone can get out to Auckland venues yeah. and, and get to Auckland. I was in um, I was in Queenstown last weekend, Jerry, and um, that's quiet. You know, I've got friends own premises down there and um, they just can't wait for the, the Auckland people to start arriving. They, they need it desperately. They've clung on by their fingernails really down there. Um, yeah, but I'll, um, we're, we're, um, I'm originally from Marlborough. Um, as you know, you've got a place in the Marlborough Sounds. Um, so that, that's where we head. Um, but prior to that, we'll certainly be having a few here at the Elmwood and, and in other places. We do visit other places. Um, I've got a lot of friends in the industry and we like to catch up with each other at different premises. So, But anyway, Marlborough Sounds for me, as I'm sure you will be as well. And we're looking forward to it after a tough year. Well, look, um, I do hope that the uh, clarity that's needed around the traffic light system is forthcoming in the next few days, and I hope that the transition period uh, uh, arrangements between the different levels of that uh, traffic light system are also made far clearer to people. Um, and I, I think one of the things you can say about New Zealand is um, we, we're a great country. We, we sometimes get very annoyed about the way we get uh, things put on us regulation-wise, uh, etc. Uh, but by and large, there is a great deal of compliance, and I think uh, it's a bit of a tribute to industries like yours where you're dealing with the public uh, that you've been able to adjust to the alert system. Uh, you'll pick up this traffic light system. Uh, but in the end, we're also looking for a terminal date. Uh, we were able to say, okay, this is part of our life uh, and um, we can accept that uh, high levels of vaccination give us the sort of freedom we want. Can I thank you both for uh, being in the back room of politics today? Um, I've learned plenty from you. I'm, I'm not sure that uh, you'll have learned much from me, but uh, I wish you both a, a very uh, happy Christmas and prosperous New Year. Thank, thank you, Jerry. Jerry. Yeah, thank you.